Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster with J.J. Jerez and Arif Dean here to kind of go over the, the first game in Finland, right? A little post-game podcast action here to just recap what happened because it's been, what, five, six days since we've seen avalanche hockey? So you and I have been just chomping at the bit, Arif, to get back into the podcasting, but we've had nothing to talk about. Today, we finally have something to talk about. A fantastic 6-3, very entertaining win from the home team, and Miko Rantanen just having himself a night, hands down the player of the day and player of the game, and I'm sure, um, you know, with the with the locker room conversation that they have post-game, naming a player of the night, you know for sure he's the guy that got it having a hat trick today. Yeah, I'm going to start off by saying this. If any of you are on Instagram, go look up Gabriel Landeskog and watch his story because I think it's pretty cool, number one, that Landeskog went with the team to Finland all the while knowing he's injured for the next two and a half or so months. And he posted a video of him kind of in that tunnel where the Zamboni entrance, um, just recording the crowd from both angles as they're chanting Miko Rantanen's <laughs> pretty cool you know Miko grew up in uh, or was born in Nusiain in Finland just two hours up the road from from Tampere or Tampere wherever you know however it's pronounced from from where Nokia Arena is just two hours up the road so a lot of fans there for him uh and you know just like you said a heck of an entertaining game I know there's a lot of things to break down that the Avalanche did not do well and some things they did well as well but in terms of just the fair weather fan watching two teams go at it, watching two Finnish stars and Patrick Line and Miko Rantanen, that's that's everything the NHL probably wanted from a game like that. It's funny that you say Tampere, and we both kind of struggle with it. You know, I know I recognized during the game that in the podcast leading up to this, and even my radio show, the videos I've made leading up to Finland, I avoided saying Tampere. Tampere. And I don't think I did it on purpose, but now I'm happy I avoided it because look at how terrible we are at saying it. But um, I think it yeah, makes I, sense. I that thought Landy's... it was Tem- Tempere until the last Tempe- week or so when I've heard right. everybody else pronounce it. But I'm pretty sure it's Tempere or Tampere or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure if you're trying to do it, it you know, with a Finnish dialect to yeah. it, it's like Tampere. The only like reason that. why I can say Nusiain in Finland for where Miko is from is because we all hear Alan Roach every single game from Nusiain in Finland when he announces number 96. So that one I got down. So that's the only one. Um, makes sense that Landeskog's on the trip, right? Because I think you've heard from a handful of players so far during this trip, not only with Finland, but the New York trip last week, how big of a bonding experience this has been for the, for the team. So I think that's not something Landy's trying to miss out on. If anything, he's trying to be the guy kind of running the bonding and the guy in charge, right? And then lastly, the Miko Rantanen song that you're talking about from Gabe Landeskog's Instagram. I heard it during the broadcast too, and... I wish I knew the kind of tune to it because it was something very unique, something I've never heard before. Yeah, it was I different. was hoping for a second it was the Miko Rantanen song, though. How cool would that be to have a whole crowd <laughs> chanting that song? Yeah, it was. that's what I was thinking it was going to be, too, when I saw people tweeting that, you know, Peter Baugh and other guys that are there tweeting that they were chanting Miko Rantanen's name. I'm like, oh, could this be? But no, it was a little bit different. It was very, I mean, you know this, I know this. It was very European soccer-esque where the chants are a little bit more than go Avs go, go Leafs go, let's go Avalanche, you know, things like that. So uh, it was really cool to see that. And again, I mean, like for him, 
could there be a better moment? Like, could there be a better spot for him to score a hat trick than there, given the fact that people know him, people recognize him, and, you know, he he was one of, what, three or four players that were going to get his name chanted that that was gonna say that night but you know at the rink and and he he's the guy that scored the hat trick it's all right it's night there it (laughs) flies i was writing my game story and i kept wanting to write like you know the avalanche's third power play of the evening and i'm like well it's you know i'm in the eastern time zone right now it's you know 4 or 5 p.m where i am it's 2 3 p.m in denver but it's nighttime in finland but i didn't go to finland so how does that work do i write evening do i write day i kind of put myself into a world and i'm like all right it's not that serious so I just cut the word evening and kept going with my words. I mean, you felt from the very beginning. I mean, the pregame was emotional, right? Especially for the Finnish guys. You could see it in in their eyes. I mean, I even got chills during the Finnish national anthem. Even hearing the American national anthem out of a Finnish singer was really cool, right? I liked when he said stripes um, (laughs) during the song. That was awesome. Um, But you just felt that, uh, you know, there was going to be some elevated play out of the Finnish guys and you know the teammates were going to help them have good nights too but no I don't think many of us expected such a big night out of Miko Ranton and the funny thing is Patrick Laine had a pretty he good, good night himself yeah. so it was a good night for the Finnish boys I wish Arturi Lekkanen showed up a little more on the score sheet yeah Arturi Lekkanen actually played a lot more minutes than Miko he finished with 21 10 uh, including 334 on the PK and over five minutes on the power play Miko played 1848. Arturi was a plus two rating. Miko was a plus three. And uh, Patrick Laine's time on ice blows him away. 2336. He played eight minutes on the freaking power play. Seven shots on goal. Another seven shot attempts. Five blocked and two more missed. So 14 shot attempts for that guy. So they all showed up. I mean, Patrick Laine had a golden assist and he had that breakaway that Georgiev made a big save on earlier. So. You know, up and down the lineup, the Finnish guys were were present and and they made it known that they were here to play a good game and and they did. Yeah, absolutely, that was fun out of, out of Miko Ranton and uh, out of the duration of the game. But really looking at the game as a whole and and taking a step back, it was kind of a choppy game from the Avalanche, right? Especially during that second period, really an ugly period. But let's let's start with the with the beginning of the game where the Avalanche had control. They uh, got out of the first period with a two nothing lead. Got another one early in the second and. I think what really attributed to their success there was the depth that we've been waiting for for, yeah. for quite some time out of this guy, out of these guys. Yeah, so it was great to see JT Comfort score. I know it was a power play goal, but you know what? They they count the same. It was great to see JT Comfort finally score. There's the three C's that we've been waiting for, even though one is technically an OC, but it's Comfort, O'Connor, and Cogliano. JT Comfort gets a goal. Logan O'Connor also gets a goal, you know, an even strength. I believe O'Connor's came first and then JT's on the power play. Alex Newhook gets an assist and another opportunity to score. He hits the post. Martin Kaut gets an opportunity and hits the post. Evan Rodriguez adds an assist. These are the guys you want to see producing. Cogliano didn't put up any points, sure, but he was still fine. You know, he was playing his role and that's not a guy that's going to put up 40 points. But the fact is... You got Val Nachushkin, who was obviously out again. You know, Jared Bednar said to reporters out in Finland this morning, well, this morning in Finland, that the, that he was going to be a game-time decision. He ended up not playing. But outside of Val and Lekkinen and Miko and Nathan McKinnon, you needed the other forwards to step up, and they did. And I thought that was refreshing to see that, you know, Newhook scored that goal in garbage time against the Islanders. The Avs had a 3 nothing lead. The Islanders scored five straight. 
Newhook scores his first of the year and records his first point on that goal with 29 seconds left in the game that was already gone. It was 5-3. He made it 5-4. And then he comes out and he records an assist. He almost gets another goal. So these are the guys you need to see step up. And they did. And I thought that was great for them because, you know, not every night are you going to have McKinnon and uh, Ranton and carry the team. Coincidentally, this was one of the nights where they did. But you need those other guys to pitch in because, as you can tell, the Rantanens and the McKinnons took a little bit of time to start to pitch in, but the Avalanche were in the game because of those goals and those opportunities from the depth guys first. Yeah, in that same breath, I mean, JT Confer's goal, like you mentioned, first of the season, came on the power play. And along with the depth, we saw power play two add to the score sheet. And I think power play two is just something I'm watching really closely this year because obviously we know they're they're working with a unique structure having the three D-men on it and um, there's only been a handful of times that we got to to see those guys really in action as a full power play two unit. So seeing them produce, seeing it be JT Confer on a Devon Taves uh, kind of you know shot from the blue line, I, I think it's just good to see that both sides of the power play are a force to be reckoned with and, and something that can produce at any moment. So along with the depth, I think kind of the quote-unquote depth of the power play as well um, is good to see show up. Yeah, and, and the beauty of the power play is, look, you have the three defensemen, you have JT Comfer, and you have Evan Rodriguez, um, or Alex Newhook, sorry, but you have a lot of guys on there, and that's with the fact that Val Nachushkin is out, which is why Evan Rodriguez is up on the first on the first unit, and Gabe Landeskog is out, which is why Val Nachushkin himself was even on the first unit. So they got a lot of depth there, and it's, it's good to see that because this is the league's best power play in the NHL, and they're missing... Two guys, one of them for the last three games, the other one for all 10 of these games, which it's crazy to think we're already 10 games in, um, but it also feels like it's been a drag because of this damn schedule. But they have a lot of options, and you know they're going to have some decisions to make when these guys get healthy of who sits and who doesn't. And uh, you know, if you ask me, I would I would assume JT Comfer would come out, probably Samuel Gerard, but there are just so many options there for this team that no matter which power play unit you put up. Uh, they they have the ability to find the back of the net. The biggest thing that's always plays against the second unit is they usually get like 30 seconds of each power play. You get 90 seconds with the top unit. Usually they score, but if they don't, you come in in garbage time in the last 30 seconds. Well, that's what they did on this opportunity, and JT Confer was able to put away that, that uh, jo not Jonathan Taves, Devon Taves shot. So, you know, you want to see that from your second unit in the little time they get. I just need to keep a closer eye. I'll admit it. I haven't been able to notice this, and maybe it's because of the lack of um, time we've actually seen Power Play 2 in its full form, or maybe I'm just exaggerating how, how little we've seen of them. But when they change, if they don't score, I guess what's the next pairing that comes yeah. on the ice? Do you have to go with your third pairing just because of the way you structured it? And if so, I mean, doesn't that kind of put you in a little bit of a pickle if you're forced to go with your third pairing every single time? Or can you even do that? I, I, Are you I talking? I, I need to keep a closer eye. Like from the defensive from side, the defensive at side. the end of a yeah. power play. Well, it's probably some kind of combination of it's. It's likely Josh Manson and Eric Johnson, if you think about it. One of them plays left, the other one plays right, and uh, it just makes a lot of sense to send those two guys out there. I always love, you know, before you mentioned the actual D pairing, I always love to kind of learn what that makeshift end of a power play line is for most teams because it'll always be something wonky. I remember Pittsburgh, you know, in the days of like Malkin and Jordan Stahl and uh, 
Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang and Max Talbot and all this, they would always throw out like, it was like Kennedy and I think Talbot, it was just like, and Mike and, and Rupp. It was always like this weird combination of forwards, which is basically like, who's left on my bench? You, you, and you go let the top stars catch their breath. The thing is with the Avalanche is the way the NHL is going now, the way that these guys need such little time to recover you have McKinnon, Rantanen, and, and Landis Gogger, and Nachushkin. You know, your top guys are out on the ice. They come out with 30 seconds left on the power play. The second unit comes up. If the second unit doesn't get the job done and they don't score, the top unit just comes right back out. They, they roll right back with the top line. I would be more concerned about the defensemen, but I, I'm pretty sure, and I haven't paid attention to it either, but I would assume it's Josh Manson and Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson, those are the only two guys that don't partake on the power play. And if it's an extended shift where the peak, where the PP ends, and power play unit number two kind of gets an extended shift, then yeah, at that point you can jump back to like Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram or something like that. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And I think luckily that's a pretty capable third pairing, right? Yeah. I mean, you'd be you'd be in a much tighter spot if you had uh, some weaker guys in, in that um, slot in the lineup, I guess, because then you might be forced to ha- have a tough matchup, right? If I'm the opposition, I know that your third pairing's going out every time after your power play i'm sending my top guys right away right to try to take advantage of that so obviously something that they have the luxury of playing with i guess yeah i mean the avalanche's defense this year compared to a year ago and i literally mean a year ago before the acquisition of josh manson it's very different in the sense where they had more depth last year in the sense of they had more options because they had both ryan murray and jack johnson Compared to this year where they don't have as much depth, they're one injury away from Curtis McDermott or Jacob McDonald being your number seven, being your number six defenseman because they're currently your number seven, but their top six is way more heavily loaded because of the fact that they acquired Josh Manson and the fact that Bowen Byram has kind of evolved into who he is. So it's really unique to kind of look at the differences in the defense a year ago to now, but hey man, this blue line is stacked and any night like tonight when the Avalanche give up, 30 something shots it's always like how given the fact that they have these guys on the blue line but you know what i'll keep it a little more positive today because they did get the victory georgiev stood on his head and you know they deserve the win and they got it yeah i think the how to your question is really the the penalty minutes and the time they spent in the box in that second period but we'll get to that in a second here first we got to talk about superbook sports guys football is in full swing and nobody's more excited about that than your friends at superbook sports superbook is bringing vegas style wagering to the palm of your hands and now they will match 100 percent of your first bet up to one thousand dollars no matter if the bet wins or loses You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. That's the problem with being in Denver, right? Even if you are at the stadium, there's a good chance you're not enjoying football this fall. So (laughs) um, you might as well take your Superbook app and start betting on hockey because, you know, today was a pretty easy one to call i would say even the puck line yeah those are always the funnest ones to take it's the puck lines where it's tied three to three in the third period and you're like ah, oh, they got outscored by two but amico ran in power play goal and then a kale mccarr first of the season and then an empty netter and you're good you're golden yeah it's good to see kale mccarr finally get uh his first one out how of great the way. was that celebration you knew he wanted that one he's been thinking about it for a little bit yeah, absolutely. Especially with, you know, they showed that angle on altitude of one of the shots that he missed wide of the net and it was it was really wide. Yeah. So, 
um, yeah, good for just his confidence and to maybe dial that in a little bit. But yeah, let's get into that second period. And just, I guess, not even just the second period, really the start of the third period uh, gets thrown into this mix as well. But really, just the, the, the Avalanche kind of took the foot off the gas and maybe weren't quite prepared for the pushback that Columbus was about to give them. But uh, there was quite the pushback and the Avalanche kind of struggled there in the middle of yeah. the game. So this goes back to the same thing. It's I've been beating a dead horse here, but it is the depth. And the reason why that is, is because when you have periods in the game like that, who do you call on and who do you rely on to get you out of something like that? You throw a line of Darren Helm, Andrew Cogliano, and Logan O'Connor over the boards. And that line gets you something. You know, in Tampa Bay, was it, I believe it was game four, the game that Kadri scored the game-winning goal. It was a Cogliano-Nico-Sturm duo that tied the game up for the Avalanche when they were trailing. So you have periods of the game where you need your energy guys to go out there and shift the focus, shift the momentum back to you. Forecheck like hell, play the Jared Bednar style of game. So then your superstars can come out. The momentum has been gained. They can put in a goal if your depth guys, like you know the Sturm and Cagliano example, if those guys themselves don't get the goal, which you know they're very much fully capable of doing. So what we're seeing right now with the Avalanche is... You know, JT Comfer has been your second line center the last few games, if you want to call him that. You know, Newhook's been on the third line. They've kind of been two interchangeable lines. Uh, Cogliano and O'Connor are playing bigger minutes than they should. Darren Helm's obviously injured. You have no Nico Sturm. You have no Nicholas Obey-Kubel, who, by the way, is on waivers as we record this. So we'll see tomorrow if the Avalanche decide to bring him back. However, when you don't have those guys in the lineup and you're relying on your energy guys right now to play bigger roles— you don't really have anybody to turn to. I mean, let's face it. The Avalanche, Who? Do, what do you dress? 12 forwards? Well, two of those forwards were Jacob McDonald, who played three minutes and three seconds tonight, and Mikhail Maltsev, who played 441. So you're really only playing 10 forwards. And then you had Martin Kaut, who played 912, and Dryden Hunt, who played 1058. They were both fine. I thought Kaut had a good game. I'm loving what Dryden Hunt is bringing to the team. But when you have only 10 forwards that you are willing to trust to play more than friggin' five minutes in a game, you're going to have st stretches where that stuff happens. So I hate to beat the dead horse. It's a different reason why I mention the depth every single episode. But in this particular game, that's what I noticed with the lack of depth from the Avalanche. It's that, you know, when Columbus started to get rolling, the Avalanche didn't really have that energy line to turn to. They had the same 10 forwards jumping over the boards, and two of them were Dryden Hunt and Martin Cowden. They just couldn't keep up with a Blue Jackets team until eventually they were able to kind of shift the focus back to them. I watched that second period and, and the beginning of the third, and I just think this is just who the Avalanche are. I mean, we've seen them do this for the last two seasons, right? They just don't like to put a whole game together. They like to find a time to find spurts of goals, get ahead early, either early or late, and, and find a time to take off. And you like to think that that's not the case because this is professional hockey, but it feels like maybe the Avalanche just forgot that there's still pride in that Columbus Blue Jackets locker room, right? The Avalanche went up 2-0 in the first period, pretty much doubling Columbus in shots, come out of the gate in the second period, and Mikko Rantanen gets another one. Really nice goal, great patience from Mikko Rantanen, by the way. And maybe they're thinking, ah, we knew we were going to come in and beat Columbus. It's done. You know, dust off their hands. Let's just coast our way into the rest of the game. It's but C Columbus fought Columbus fought back it's so wild like I think that too and I think it's a very it's very much like something that happens to anybody's brain but like 
This team just won the Stanley Cup. They won 72 games last year, playoffs and regular season combined, out of 102. So if you combine the regular season and playoffs, the Avalanche went 72 and 30. Crazy stuff. Uh, and that's after starting the season 4-5-1, and one, so 4-6, and six, which, by the way, they are now 5-4-1. and one, So they have a better start now than they did for their Stanley Cup winning season a year ago. But for a team that went 72 wins deep last year and had to play the game that they played all the way up to the final buzzer of Game 6, it's wild to me to think that they would, you know, have that mindset of like, yeah, we got this in the bag. But I also could see why it could happen, especially like you and I have talked about this. The start of the regular season has been kind of hard to really get excited for because of the excitement of the playoffs last year. And I think a lot of fans are feeling it. I feel like the Avalanche are feeling it themselves, but it's still crazy to me that these guys that just went through the season they did not three and a half months ago it ended are kind of having these feelings now. Or was it four and a half months? Yeah, it's been four and a half. Jeez, we're going quick here. Yeah, I guess it's not so much of a problem because I guess what the experience really teaches you and even going through a playoff run is that you really don't have to be on all the time. Yeah. It's about how you respond to when you're not on, right? And I think that's what we see out of the Avalanche often. Even if you go game by game, there are spurts, even long ones, entire periods, entire 10-minute chunks where they're just off. But then suddenly a few things happen, the momentum gets pushed their way again, and they respond, and they come with a plethora of goals, two or three waves at a time. So um, I, I guess it's not anything to be worried about whatsoever because, again, we've seen this happen for years and years and years, and this just seems to be part of the identity of the team. They like to make it a little bit interesting for the fans. Maybe it's why we think they're so exciting to watch because these games do get interesting. They go up 3 nothing, and then the opposition gets into it and ties it 3-3. Avs come back and end up winning the game by three goals. So it's exciting brand of hockey, but um, you know, probably not Jared Bednar's favorite style. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that my biggest takeaway from this game is we just started the season, the this episode by talking about it. It's the depth guys stepped up when the Avalanche needed them. And then the Avalanche had a lull and it was three to three. But when it was three to three, you needed the big guys to step up. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, it was Miko Rantanen from Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon. It was Kale McCarr from Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. It was Miko Rantanen from Nathan McKinnon and Devon Taves on the, for the empty netter. So those are the guys that stepped up in the last 11 or 12 minutes of regulation. And, you know, what I noticed from the Avalanche today was exactly that. It was the depth for the first chunk. In that middle chunk when Columbus got three goals, their goalie did save their bacon a few times. And then the last chunk, it was the top guys. And that's something we've noticed, like you said, for a few years now with this team. How many times have we seen them score nine goals in a game or eight goals in a game where they have like seven at the halfway point? We're like, could this be the one where they get 10 and they park the bus and they don't get it? They they have those spurts of goals and then they kind of ease up a little bit. And I think it's a very efficient type of hockey, but it could get a little risky at times because, you know, if you get a three to nothing lead, you want it to go to 3-2 and then you jump up to 6-2. You don't want it to have to go to 3-3 or in the Islanders game, it blows up in your face. You're trailing 4-3, you're trailing 5-3 and you're like, what the hell just happened? So, uh, but it is what the Avalanche are doing. I mean, for, for those that have been almost 200 episodes deep with JJ and I, you've noticed that we've talked about this for years. The Avalanche have that 5-10, to 10, maybe 15 or 20 minutes of a game where they explode, they take over, they score a bunch of goals. And that little portion wins them the game because they're that good. Yeah, you're, you're right. The the big names stepped up when they needed them, and that's really what got them over the hump. And 
the other catalyst, we talked a lot about power play too, but power play yeah. one was really the one that got that, that go ahead goal from Miko Rantanen. So uh, yeah, that's been the biggest asset of this team so far this year, the power play. It steps up, the big names step up when you needed it, and the depth carried the team early on. And then don't forget a couple big saves out of Georgiev, and especially on the penalty kill there. So that, I mean, that little sentence I just said right there, to me, epitomizes this team and their brand of hockey. Yeah, of course. And, you know, as you when get— When they're playing well. Then. Yes, yes. And when you get more guys back in the lineup, you're going to be able to kind of weather the storms a little bit better. You'll have more depth, more guys in there, more energy, and—, and uh Again, like this is a team that's strong. They're solid. There's a few kinks in in their game and in their lineup right now, given the guys that they lost in the offseason, plus the injuries they currently have. But it's it's nothing that's not fixable. So as much as this season has been a little bit of a strange whirlwind in the first three weeks and two days, the first 23 days of the regular season, it will likely get better from here. And then as people come back and as acquisitions are made, you're going to see them kind of round in a form. And then uh, with the power play, you know, I think there's just something about this power play unit that thrives on chaos, right? I, we, they mentioned on the broadcast today about how calm Miko Rantanen is, and we saw it on display a couple times today. And I think that's just what makes that power play unit so great. Is It's the experience that they've been through, the chaos that they create, and then they capitalize on that chaos, right? They pass it around, pass it around. Finally, Nathan McKinnon decides to take a shot. Usually gets saved, but it's off of that rebound, off of what happens next that they capitalize. And that's something I find really impressive, just the, their ability to keep that composure when everything seems to be breaking down, and then you see Miko Ranton and capitalize. Again, the epitome of avalanche hockey right there. Yeah, and, and these guys have some of the best superstars in the NHL. Miko Ranton is the third biggest name on the team, and he was the biggest performer today. So this is this is what they do, man, and, and I wouldn't expect anything less from them in a game like this where it was a little bit chaotic. Anything you want to point out about Alexander Georgiev's game that hasn't already been said? I mean, he, he was a big reason that they won that game, had some big stops, and just was the Alexander Georgiev we expect to see when in that. You know what, man? He's been he's been great all season. That's That's just the best way to put it. He's... He's 4-1-1. One, one. He's got a 9-18 save percentage. The Avalanche have hung him out to dry a few times. You know, he's 4-1-1, one, and, one, and he should technically be 5-0-1. Like, that Islanders game, they let it get away. He faced 39 shots today, 43 against the Islanders, 46 against the Rangers, 35 against the Vegas Golden Knights. Those are his last four games. And then he also faced 39 against Minnesota. So this guy is getting peppered with shots, 208 shots against in six games. Uh, that's an average of 34 to 35 per game. So... He's been everything you want. I mean, again, I'm, I'm going to continue to compare it to last season because it's the second year in a row the Avalanche bring in a goalie in his first year and are a cup contender. In the early parts of the season, through the first 10 games, I know Frankie's played two of them. Or has it been three? I forget. Um, four or five, six. Uh, my, three. My math is off. Thank you. Uh, in the first 10 games, and Georgie is 5-1-1, one, one, not 4-1-1. One, one. In the first 10 games of the season, I know he's played seven of them. But he has been better than Kemper was a year ago. Does that mean he's going to end better? We'll see. But I, I have nothing bad to say about his game. In the regular season, he's been everything you want. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I love it, actually. I like his energy. And, uh, yeah, just a, a good guy to have uh, manning that net, I think. Just been waiting for that opportunity, and yep. he's seizing it right in front of our eyes. Yep, um, big time. And and the other the other guy that the Avalanche acquired, Evan Rodriguez, I think he kind of started slow, and he's been kind of on an upward trajectory since. 
uh, the biggest takeaway from him, I know you didn't ask, but it's just something that stuck out for me was he played over 23 minutes today and he played over 27 minutes against the Islanders after playing over 21 minutes against the Devils the night before. So they're relying on this guy a lot and uh, he's being rewarded for playing well. And I just love what he's been doing. He's He was pesky little guy in the crease on the power play. He's playing a lot of PK minutes as well. He's doing it all. And I think that the Avalanche kind of struck gold in both these guys in Rodriguez and in uh, uh, Georgiev, you know, obviously to an extent of what they bring to the team. Rodriguez, they didn't struck, strike gold by, you know, bringing in a 100-point guy, but for his role, he plays it very well. It would be easy to look at Evan Rodriguez and say, yeah, of course, he's added a few goals uh, in the most recent games. Now he's up to four, I believe, but that's not all of it. He's doing smaller things right. He's taking care of the details. And, you know, for Jared Bednar to have that much faith in him and be rewarding him the way he is, there's a lot more yep. than just simply adding goals to the score sheet that are, are getting him here. So I, I'm with you. I like the evolution of his game with this team so far. And, uh, yeah, excited to see where it goes from here. But um, tomorrow, same time, same place, yep. Nokia Arena in Tampere, Finland, noon on Saturday. What What do you expect from that game tomorrow obviously i think you already touched on frankie probably starting anything else uh another fun game my favorite thing about back-to-backs at any point in the regular season no matter who the competition is is that energy of the night before carries over so there's some extra pushing and shoving in the first period there's some extra a lot of these guys are going to sleep like the side of my glutes or my shoulders my something hurts because of some guy number 27 on the other team got to me and that energy builds up and it's it's going to be fun for that reason yeah so we'll see hopefully the uh you know I'm, I'm curious again we touched on how the Finnish guys seem to have a little bit of extra fire under them because of the atmosphere I'm curious if that's able to carry over or if that kind of wears off after night one and tomorrow seems a little bit more like a standard NHL game just going going through it again because it's not quite the spectacle but um we'll see we're not that far away from it you know so um yeah this this podcast only has so much shelf life <laughs> before we turn it around and yep. get right back to the next game so yeah um we got to get out of yeah, here so closing, we closing, give people time, time to listen yeah, to it. Closing stat for me here, and, and, and we'll take it away from here, is the only two guys that played four-plus minutes on both power play and shorthanded. Number one is Kale McCarr, obvious choice, 557 on the PP, 554 shorthanded. The only other guy was Evan Rodriguez. He played six minutes on the power play, 411 shorthanded. So he had the second most special teams ice time on this team behind Kale McCarr. He does it all for this team, and I love what he brings. Yeah, I'm not sure we did the penalty kill quite the justice in this episode because, I mean, killing off uh, that four-minute major late was was The, the two the double game. minors, yeah. There was the, yeah. the, the high-sticking one, the McKinnon one, the unsportsmanlike. Right, right. The, I meant the one later in the game that was basically, you know, what won them the game. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow to record another post-game podcast for you because these are unique games and, and require a little bit more unique attention. So, um, of course, I'm actually going to be – preview in the game as well on the hockey show which will be at 11 o'clock tomorrow on my eye sports um so yeah i'll be hitting you with pre-game and post-game but again this is a, a unique time and a, a unique game to break down so i'm all for it um yeah thanks for hanging out with us today on this quick little episode hope you enjoy the rest of your friday or saturday morning depending on when you're listening to this but thanks for hanging out with us you made it this far in the podcast bless your pretty little heart let's make hockey for everyone we got you